All her merchants stand with wonder. What is this that comes to pass? Murmuring like the distant thunder, crying, Oh, alas, alas. Swell the sound, ye kings and nobles, priests and people, rich and poor. Babylon is fallen to rise no more. You're listening to Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Zoe and Heidi here today with David Apple to continue our discussion of the book of Revelation. So, David, how are you doing? Oh, doing well, Zoe, and it's good to be back. Uh, you know, talking on the conclave is one thing, but what we really want to do is talk about Revelation. <laughs> to continue our never-ending series Correct. on this Correct. book. Yes. <laughs> How's the weather out your way? Uh, fall kind of came to Paducah. We had uh, we had some some nice weather the last couple of weeks. It cooled down, especially the evenings. I was able to actually open my windows. But then it's weird. The, right when you feel like all right, it's it's fall officially. You know, it it's ninety degrees again. So I think later. I think today is supposed to still be nice and kind of uh, cool. And when I say cool, I mean like low eighty low 80s but probably by the end of the week we'll be pushing triple digits again that's crazy i can't even begin to relate to that i'm sorry well it's it's you know it gets cool in the evenings and in the morning and then but still during the day you know something Hmm. about the sun and the direct uh direct heat still still gets nice and hot Hmm. yeah because we are very much in the the cool end of things and by cool i mean like 50, 60, you know, starting to get down there. In fact, there's been at least a couple of nights in the past couple of weeks, at least, that uh, it's actually, I think, froze lightly during the night, you know, light frosting kind of thing. Yeah, that's that's still a long way off for me. Yeah, Probably. It might happen in October, but... Um, sure. Yeah. Well, it might snow in October here, so... <laughs> But I mean, the trees out outside are starting to turn colors and it's looking quite nice. I mean, I'm just looking out the window now and seeing, you know, some very nice yellow leaves and, and it's, it's a beautiful time of year. And, uh, I always, I do enjoy this time of year because, you know, I like cooler weather to begin with, but it's, it's just pretty to have all these trees around. Are your trees changing at all or, um, a few, a few spring spring is colorful here but fall is not that you know things it it doesn't get like all the i shouldn't say it doesn't but it's just very brief it it just happens that everything goes from green to kind of yellow to brown and we don't have this kind of long changing of the colors it's just boom over done with everything's brown and everything falls off the off the trees and then winter comes and yeah, well, winter, winter, yeah, winter comes, but winter for me is a very different thing than for you. So, touche. Yeah. <laughs> well, we should probably get into talking about the Book of Revelation again, but it's been a while. I mean, I think our last episode was several months ago, even before the break. I think it it had been a couple of months. Yeah. So, where are we in the Book of Revelation, and how does that get us into what we're talking about today? Yeah, uh, Revelation is a book of the New Testament uh, written by the Apostle. No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, we don't have to go that far back. <laughs> we're, we're in chapter 18, okay? So we're coming to the end of the book of the Revelation. And I think it's helpful to, to recall a little bit of the kind of the, the sequence of these chapters. So, you know, you have the original vision of John. He sees into heaven and probably the throne scene is what many of our listeners will will remember. Um, the lamb who comes up, he takes the scroll, opens the scroll, and then that's where you get all the seals, right? Eventually, that scroll is opened. And eventually, that scroll is given to John to eat. And then comes the visions that the vision of the, the dragon and the woman and her child and the beasts that rise up. And then you get the number of the, you know, the image of the beast and the number of the beast and all that stuff. So what we're coming to in chapter 18, is kind of the end of that beastly vision. So the dragon, remember, 
wanted to devour the woman's child, Jesus, but was was unable to. And so he turned his attention to the other children of the women, which we we take as the church. So what we're seeing in chapters 12 through 18 is the war between Satan and his beasts and Christ's, Christ's church. And in chapter 18, you have, I think, kind of the, the beginning of the end of this battle. So those beasts that were raised up have to be destroyed. And the first one that's destroyed is its, its picture has sort of shifted from being a beast to being called the whore of Babylon. And chapter 17 uh, really de- describes how the whore of Babylon is destroyed by this other beast. And so now in chapter 18, you have the, the proclamation goes out, hey, the, the whore is fallen, Babylon is fallen, and you get all the reactions to that news. Yeah, no, I think it's important, as you said, to point out that we are now seeing the end of the beasts and the dragon, but in the reverse order of how they were originally introduced back in chapters 12 and 13. Yes. So the second beast, the whore, is the one that's falling in chapter 18, and then we will see the destruction of the first beast, and then we will just see the destruction of the dragon himself when he is cast down and thrown into the lake of fire. So, yeah, so we are seeing the end of that great cycle, and we are coming towards the very end of the book. But, yeah, no, and and I, I think this is, is it's, it's a great chapter, because now, especially as we are starting with chapter 18, I mean, the whole book of Revelation is a book of victory. I don't want to give the, the wrong impression there. But we are starting to see the the very clear, very explicit victory of the the Lamb of Christ over everything and his church with him. You know, Babylon has fallen, we can rejoice in that, and then the beast will fall, and then Satan will fall, and then the city will come down. You know, and I mean it it really is a this huge triumphant flourish towards the end of the book, wouldn't you mm-hmm. say? Yeah, yeah. The old has to be replaced by the new. Right. And so these old things, um, old in the sense of satanic things, old in the sense of, you know, the pers- the things that have been persecuting the church, those things have to be dealt with before you can have the fullness of the heaven coming down onto earth and the establishment then of that new city. Um, so th- there's so many things that that could be said about that. Right. Uh, but for just take this as uh, for instance here the whore of babylon has to be replaced by there's going to be another woman who comes down from above right the the bride of the lamb so before the bride can really arrive and be revealed in all her glory you have to get rid of this this other woman you know this this pseudo you know it's it's not it's never depicted as a potential bride for the lamb but it is a woman who goes around you know, trying to take that place. Um, and so her fall, her downfall is paving the way. This is just one way to help our uh, our listeners see the, the book as a connected whole instead mm-hmm. of just these sort of random, you know, kaleidoscopic images that just hit you and have nothing to do with each other. The, the fall of the whore, you should connect in your mind with the coming down of the bride. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, absolutely. And to see, like you say, the the beginning of the final triumph of the Lamb and the establishment of his church in glory forever. And that's why we have such hope through the book of Revelation, because we see that no matter how fearsome these enemies are, no matter how powerful they seem to be, they will fall. And, and Christ will give victory to his church, and it'll be a victory which will never come to an end. The, the one thing that's added in chapter 18 here um, that we haven't really seen in the book up till this point is that when Babylon falls, when this judgment comes, and there's a lot of you know focus on this is the judgment of God, this is an act of God, this isn't just a random uh, occurrence, right? But there is, I think there's a diff- something new about the reaction to Babylon 
that we haven't seen in the reaction to, say, some of the seals being broken open or some of the trumpets being blown or some of the, the bowls being poured out on the earth. There's always been kind of a disappointment in those things because there hasn't been repentance. And I think with the fall of Babylon, and we'll, we can get into you know the details of the text uh, as we go through the episode, Zelwyn, but I think with the fall of Babylon, there is some there is this new character to the reaction that we haven't seen up to this point. Yeah, and I don't know if I would go so far as to say that it's like genuine repentance by the world, but you're right, there is a, a different color to the way that they're reacting. You know, they're basically admitting that what is what is happening is I mean, it is terrible. It is it is something which is even deserved. I think we can say that. Um, but I, I don't think we want to say that the world ever truly repents of its sins because otherwise then it would escape the judgment. You know what I mean? Does that yeah, make well, sense? I, yes, certainly uh, there is. If, <laughs> if all of Babylon repented, this wouldn't happen. Right. But, but I think that some of them do here. And, I, and we'll go through why. Okay. Uh, why we think that. Well, we'll have that discussion. But, and of course, one of the things that we're going to see in it too is the fact that there is great rejoicing over the destruction of God's enemies, which is something that we need to talk about, um, especially and see how it connects with the rest of scriptures. But why don't you start us by talking about the general structure of this chapter? Kind of lay it out, you know, what, what do we see here? Because we have a song, or at least a few songs, which are being sung over the destruction of the city. And how does that, how does that all lay out? And how does that help us to kind of pick apart this, this yeah. chapter? Yeah, well, one of the things uh, that's often confusing in when you read the prophets comes out in this chapter, which is who's talking? You know, that question of who's speaking. That's, that's an important thing to nail down. So when you look at chapter 18, um, I, I, I would kind of lay it out this way. There's three voices that are going to come from above, and there's three voices that are going to come from below. So first, there's a, a, a proclamation about the fall. So in, in chapter 17, you had the actual, the beast turned on the whore and destroyed her. And now in chapter 18, that, that news has to be published. And so the, the first thing that happens is an angel comes down and publishes the news. Then there's a second voice that's going to call out, you know, why this has happened. And then the third voice that comes from above uh, comes at the very end of the chapter, which is a second angel. So it's kind of bookends. You have these angelic voices bookending chapter 18 and the judgment that comes on, on Babylon. And then in the, in the middle of that, you have these three voices from below. So there is, there's this reaction to the news, a reaction to the public, publicization, pub, publication of the news, um, first by the kings, then by the merchants, and then by some people who are called the shipmasters or the seafarers. And those, those three reactions are, are very repetitive, one on, on top of another, but there are slight differences uh, between those three. Yeah. And so we will see how then... Heaven reacts to the destruction of Babylon. We will see how the earth reacts to the destruction of Babylon. And how then should we react to the destruction of Babylon? You know, what, what, is, the, what is the overall point of this chapter? Yeah, are you asking me or are you saying that's where we're going? No, I'm asking you. <laughs> oh, well, I think so. The, the people who are singled out, those three voices from below, are those who are actually engaged in... Um, the commerce of Babylon, the kings, the the merchants, those who profit from whatever this Babylon is, and then those who are kind of loosely connected. So it's, it, you have kind of a, a descending amount of connection. The kings, those who are um, leading the city, have the initial reaction. Then those who profit from the city, and then those who who kind of trade a little. You know, the, think of the the seafarers are those who. Their business is connected to the city, but most of their time is spent out on the water, right? So they're not really involved intricately, intimately um, with Babylon. And the final 
call then is for heaven and speaking there of those who dwell in heaven, the saints, to rejoice over these things. I think, you know, when you read this as a Christian, we are not those who are caught up in Babylon. And so our our response is kind of looking from the outside in uh, as opposed to inside out. Now, now you might want to push back a little bit on that, Zelwyn, but that would be my initial thought is that we are looking uh, on the God's, God's vindication of his people, uh, which is a cause of rejoicing, even though it is a, a destructive judgment. Well, no, I, I don't think there's much to push back. The only thing I would say is that we shouldn't be in Babylon, <laughs> which is kind of some of the, the call of this chapter too. you know, come out of her, my people, so you don't share in her judgments. But I, I do think that we have here a rejoicing over destruction. And I know that I've talked about that sort of thing many times, not only on here, but in other shows and stuff like that. And it, it can seem a little odd to us to actually rejoice in someone else's misery. But it is something that is biblical because their misery is a result of the judgment of God. And God's judgments are always righteous. They are always good. And they are getting what they deserved for their persecution of the church. And so, yeah, there is rejoicing in judgment. There is rejoicing in God destroying our enemies because it is victory. It is vindication. It is the the vengeance which God has promised to his people. Yeah, and it's what, I mean, this, this goes hand in hand with discomfort that people have in imprecatory psalms, right? Mm-hmm. So when when we pray that God would deal with our enemies, and then we see that he actually does it. There, there's kind of this, you know, Lord, save us, deliver us. And then he, and then when he does deliver us, it's like, well, but not like that, you know, <laughs> um, because that's, it's seen to be too violent or something like that. But I, but I, I do think that there's a good point to be made here, which is our final hope is not just, you know, a temporary deliverance but our ultimate hope is a permanent deliverance. And for there to be permanent deliverance of the Christian, that means that um, certainly the dragon, Satan, has to be done away with, and certainly his beasts have to be done away with. And the beasts of Satan are not just, you know, he doesn't raise up, you know, golems. He, he actually uses humans, and so that's where we we have this. Um, it's a tragic thing that there are human souls that are in league with satanic forces and who will come to um, a final judgment. That's not something that we we want people to be saved from that. But in the end, when it comes, uh, final judgment is going to be a cause of rejoicing. Yeah. Well, and I, I also think of it this way, you know, we, we live in pretty secure, pretty prosperous kind of environments in the United States. I mean, yes, we do we do experience some things that are uncomfortable and stuff like that, but we aren't like in the midst of a, a war zone or something like that. You know, we aren't in fear of our homes being physically destroyed because some soldiers came through. I mean, it could happen, of course. I mean, we don't know what the future will hold. But the point is, is that when you are experiencing these kinds of things, you know, this kind of very severe oppression, very severe kind of torment at the hands of the world, you do want to see vengeance. You do want to see justice in this. And I think when we see in those terms, we understand very clearly why this is a cause of rejoicing that we can trust in the Lord who will give to our enemies the things that they have deserved, that we will be, you know, given justice even in the midst of great suffering, right? Yeah, yeah. The hope for vindication is not just the hope that, like, um, God's going to put our enemies in time out and, <laughs> or that he's, he's going to, like, send them, like, right, if you, if you make a bad tweet, you get put in time out and then you have to, um, I think all these 
athletes who say things that they're not, you know, quote unquote, allowed to say, then they have to issue a, you know, this kind of formal letter of apology that you can tell they don't really mean. And they have to go back to sensitivity training school. Like that's not, we don't want that to happen to our enemies because that they don't need a slap on the wrist. That would be unjust, right? Mm -hmm. Real vindication means a real salvific act that puts an end to enemies. And that's what you see in Revelation is that there is this final judgment that comes and the whore of Babylon is actually destroyed and she rises no more. Well, which is why, you know, the the great psalm, you know, blessed are they who shake your little ones and dashes them against the rock. You know, we always kind of recoil in horror at that and say, oh, how can the Bible say that? Well, it is that rejoicing in true vindication that, you know, the people who experience these horrific things, you know, they will be given justice. They will be given, you know, deliverance from that, you know, because they were in the midst of experiencing that themselves. We don't want them to just have a nice little slap on the wrist and say, oh, you did a bad thing. We want real justice, justice, which only God can provide. Yeah. Vengeance is mine and I will repay, says the Lord. And so in the, you know, that's the Romans 12 passage, right? In the meantime, we don't, we don't take it upon ourselves to carry out that vengeance. Right. Um, You know, we, we love our enemies and overcome evil with good so much as we can, but we also do wait for the day when evil will be, will be finally finished off. And sometimes that happens in time too. That's something that I know I've said often on here is that it's not just looking ahead to one day far off in the distant future, but that God's vengeance, God's God delivers his people in time too. Not fully, right? That's not the permanent. The permanent thing is still to come, but he does act in time. Well, now that we've thoroughly horrified our audience, uh, we're going to go into our first break. So we'll be right back with more Word Fitly Spoken. Spoken. I'm Zelwyn Heidi here with David Apple, continuing our discussion on the book of Revelation. So now that we have an overview of the book and we've kind of seen, you know, what's going to happen and kind of the main message of this chapter, why don't you take us into the chapter, David, so we can start talking about specifics? Where do you want to begin? Yeah. So I mentioned this in the kind of structural things that we said before. First thing that happens is the the publication of the news. So the whore is now seen under the guise of a city. And that that relates to later when the bride of the lamb comes down, she comes down like a city, right? So woman and city are, are two images of the same thing. Okay, so now the city is is under view here, but it's really just unfolding what happened in chapter 17. And this angel comes down and uh, the call goes out, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And then you get this, this very reminiscent of the prophet's description of what's happened to her. And what's happened to her is that she's become this city that used to be a bustling, busy city is now a haunt for uh, all kinds of unclean animals. And so you get repeated three times, haunted, haunted, haunted. She has become a haunt for unclean spirits. She has become a haunt for unclean birds. She has become a haunt 
for every unclean and detestable beast. What I find interesting about that description, though, is that in the prophets, I mean, we're talking like Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, those kinds of, of chapter of books. You always have the description of these cities becoming vacant and just filled with beasts, you know, filled with the owls, filled with the jackals, that sort of thing. But it, it just kind of becomes this almost matter of fact kind of discussion. Like the city is so abandoned that it's literally just become, you know, a place where animals now live. Um, but here you get that kind of added little detail that it's not just animals living in the deserted city, but rather that it has become the the dwelling place of all of these unclean things. Like her fall is something which results in even her becoming even more unclean than she already is. Does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, well, and I skipped over this part, but it's you know, what you say is right on. Um, the first thing is she she turns from being a city to becoming a dwelling place of demons. So it, it is a, um, you know, it's like Jesus said, right? When the demon is cast out, it goes through the waterless places and comes back and, you know, gets seven of its friends. So it becomes worse than it was before. That's the judgment that comes on, on this Babylon that's described here. Yeah. So in that sense, the coming of the judgment isn't just like, oh, it was bad and now it's good. It's gone from bad to worse in the sense that, you know, the, the full wrath of God is now being poured out upon it. Yeah, right. you mean it doesn't go from bad to neutral? I think right. that's what right. It go, yeah, that's right on. Mm -hmm. Right, and then yeah. and then you get a description here of why it happened, and mm -hmm. so I'll just I think it's worth pointing out we've we've covered this in chapter seventeen. For all the nations have drunk from the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, that piling up of the of the of the of the, and the kings of the earth committed immorality with her. So the kings of the earth, you know, joined in her sexual immorality with adultery here. And the merchants of the earth have grown rich. So you get introduced right away there, kings and merchants, those who are, you know, completely complicit in the actions of, the, the, of Babylon, the city, and also then those who profit from all the, all the terrible things that take place in the city of Babylon. Yeah. And so for that reason, the world profiting from this, you know, city opposed to God, they will be included in that judgment, although we will not, although their part of the judgment isn't quite at the same level, which is what mm -hmm. we're going to see happening um, through the rest of this chapter. But yeah, because of her immorality, because she has deceived the nations, because she has led kings and merchants astray, that is why her judgment has come upon her. And she has fallen, I mean, really, if you take Old Testament language again here, in a single day, right? It, it, the swiftness of her judgment. Yeah, and that's going to come up again and again when the kings lament, when the merchants lament, when the seafarers lament. They always, there's a, there. it's almost like a liturgical response, right? There's a similar cry, alas, alas. That's how it starts. You know, fallen is fallen, fallen. You get that double, the doubling of the... Um, judgment that comes on Babylon is matched by their response, alas, 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 alas. And then they all say, in a single hour, she fell. So it was sudden, it was quick. And you can think of Babylon, you know, the actual city of Babylon, go back to Daniel 5, right? When the handwriting comes on the wall, uh, many, many Tekel Parson, right? That very night, <laughs> the, the, what, the Medes come in, the Persians come in, and they destroy. Now, I don't think the entire Babylonian empire fell in a night, but it was swift. It was sudden. And at least that party that was taking place all fell in a single night. And so that reality of old Babylon is now being prophetically applied to whatever this new Babylon is uh, that, that John is seeing. And we'll get to that discussion probably towards the end um, of talking about all of these things. But yeah, so we have this declaration that, you know, Babylon is fallen, fallen. Yep. And I do think that doubling is also important because doubling, especially in the Old Testament, is always, you know, emphasis. Like it's saying like, this is absolutely certain. This just isn't like, oh, she kind of fell or, oh, she might, she might fall. 
this is the declaration that she has certainly without any doubt fallen mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. God is bringing the judgment down upon her. But now we but now we hear the next voice, David. Right, another voice sounds out here and again this is a voice from above. So this is not yet the reaction of those within Babylon, but another voice from heaven says and now the call comes to people who are somehow dwelling in Babylon. They are in Babylon but not of Babylon. Maybe we could put it that way, right? Come out. Get out of her. My and it says my people. So this is a this is the voice of God. Um, whether it's being delivered through an angel, through a messenger, um, but it's certainly the voice of the Lord. Come out of her, my people, lest you take part in her sins, lest you share in her plagues. And then it goes on to describe, again, why it's it's like the case is all being laid out. You know, it's it's like a courtroom scene where all of the evidence is being put out against Babylon for why this judgment is coming on her. And uh, just some of the things that, that, get laid out here. Her sins are heaped high. God has remembered her iniquities. He's going to give her back double, like you just said, right? He's going to pay her double for her deeds, a double portion of the cup that she mixed, right? So it's kind of like Jesus's words, with the measure that you measure, it will be measured back to you. Um, But now you also have this this, um, intensification. Um, And you see this sometimes in the law, that there is a, you know, if you steal from me, you don't just have to repay, but you have to pay me back double, um, you know, what you took from me. So right. this that doubling. Uh, the other thing that's that's held out here is uh, that the com- I think a good word to, to put in here is the complacency with which, you know, the city of Babylon operates. So just listen to this. Um, she glorified herself and lived in luxury. So give her a like measure of torment and mourning. Since in her heart, she says, I sit as a queen. I am no widow and mourning I shall never see. Right? Because she, it's not just that she was rich or wealthy, but there's that complacency that comes and that self-security that comes with luxuriousness, with complacency. For this reason, it says, her plagues will come in a single day, death and mourning and famine. Yeah. And that that part of sitting as a queen, I am no widow, I mean, that's almost a direct citation of Isaiah 47, mm-hmm. right? Especially verse 8. And the idea is that she is not only exalting herself, but she's also exalting herself into a divine place, right? I am a queen. I am no widow. Mourning I shall never see. I will never experience turmoil. I will be able to control my destiny. I am in control of my fate, that sort of thing. She is putting herself into the place of God. Yeah, it's, it's hardness of heart, right? Mm-hmm. So if you, think of, if you think of Pharaoh, when, when Moses comes to him, his response to Moses is, who is the Lord? Why should I listen to him? I'm, you know, I am divine. I am the Lord. I don't take orders. I make orders. And uh, that comes up again, like you said, in Babylon, uh, in Isaiah's prophecy about the eventual fall of old Babylon. And I think here, you know, this is where I would say, this is a good indication uh, that what's being described here is um, not just the same thing as, you know, Babylon under Nebuchadnezzar. What's being described, this, I sit as a queen, I am no widow. It's this refusal to heed the call to repentance. And I think especially seeing this as the city of Jerusalem, kind of right before it falls, um, Jerusalem, who had the, the, the Lord himself came to Jerusalem and she rejected him. Um, then all of his apostles come and the Christians, uh, after the martyrs after them, that continual impenitence and the rejection of the call to repentance is summed up pretty profoundly, I think, in this language. You know, I sit as a queen. I'm no widow. What do you mean? I don't have a, I have my husband. I'm not a widow. I don't need to, to turn. I don't need to repent. I'm fine just the way I am. And I would certainly you know, agree that, you know, Jerusalem is, is in mind here for her impenitence. 
of course, I would see her as one more type in, you know, the great refusal that is to come. And I think we can talk about that a little bit more, especially towards the end of the episode. Yeah. But one of the things that I do want to focus on here before we move on from this section is this call to come out, this call to separation. How how should we understand that? How should we interpret that, especially in our own circumstances, David? Well, I know you don't want to talk about Jerusalem, but Jesus did say, when you see these things begin to take place, flee to the hills. And he meant like actually physically separate yourself, uh, right. right? And the, and you can see that in uh, kind of the history, the history of the early church. Um, you know, eventually the apostles do leave Jerusalem. Now, James the just stays there and, and, and those things. But eventually, before the Romans come into Jerusalem, they do get out. And they right. avoid they avoid the um, death. Many of them do avoid death. So I think that historically, seeing that there are you know, especially in that case, there was a call for physical separation is good. Now, like what you were saying before, when we look at these things, we don't just want to say, well, this is talking about something that happened back in the first century, and therefore it already happened. Maybe we can like learn our history, but that's as far as we take it. You know, you want to also then apply it to the life of every of the church, the life of the individual Christian now. Um, and so removing yourself might not mean physically getting out of a geographical location. It could, right? It could, um, yeah. Sometimes you do have to, to physically move, but it's also the removal of yourself from the spiritual temptations, right? Um, the sexual immorality of the whore of Babylon is the temptation to idolatry, to, uh, you know, if this is really talking about Jerusalem, to go back to the former things. Uh, but for us, you know, the, the temptation is probably not to go worship in the temple and offer the sacrifices there, uh, but it would be, you know, kind of first commandment stuff here, right? Sure. And it's not that I don't want to talk about Jerusalem. I just want to make sure that we can apply it, which is what you were getting at. Yeah. But I mean, we should also see this, the, the call to separation, the call to come out as, you know, a picture I mean, what, of what it means really to be a Christian, because we are called to be separate from the world. You know, we are not called to be part of it. We are called to be different. We are called to be holy unto the Lord. And if we are tempted to participate in Babylon, to participate in the ways of the world, especially the ways of the world which sets itself up against God and in the place of God, then we we too will share in that judgment. Yeah. Right? Yeah, think back to um, chapter 13, right? Those who uh, want, they see the image of the beast and they see the... Um, the luxury that the beast affords. And so they take the mark of the beast on their hands because, you know, that attraction to, well, luxurious living sounds pretty good and right. complacency looks pretty nice. And so, yeah, I think, I think you're right. This is, you could, you could see the whole Christian life as being coming out of Babylon. And maybe, maybe just to add something on top of that is then to, to make a new, right? Come out of Babylon and come into something else, right? The Christian life is not simply a matter of resisting Babylon, but also then of joining the new Jerusalem that comes down from above. Yeah. Leaving Egypt behind, so to speak, and heading towards the promised land, towards the new city, the yeah. city of God. Yeah. I mean, and, and with that too, you know, when we see it as that separation, that leaving to go to what God has called us to, you know, then we can understand, you know, why, you know, why we even can rejoice in these things too. Because, you know, the, the destruction of Babylon is the, the temptation towards complacency. It's the temptation towards worldliness. But now that temptation is gone. You know, we, we have seen the fullness of the coming of God. And, and especially with the coming of, of Jerusalem, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. Yeah, when I mean when the drug addict when the drugs are flushed down the toilet like that's a cause of rejoicing for the addict because his he is delivered now from mm -hmm. those things. And what would be even better than just flushing his stash down the toilet would be if there were no more of those things, right? 
right. and if and, and that's what we're pressing towards yeah absolutely yeah so come out be separate do not participate in in the things of the world don't just give in so that you don't have to suffer which i think is also another temptation you know we go along with babylon because then babylon leaves us alone mm-hmm. we don't want to do that either you know resist come out and you will not be destroyed with the city don't be like lot's wife <laughs> yeah there you go well that no that's a great uh, connection to make because we've seen think of the other cities that have been brought up in the book of revelation babylon sodom egypt right and those are those are three types of you know jerusalem at the time of the apostles and those things you know hopefully our our listeners this i don't think this is beyond our ability to grasp but those those four cities sodom egypt which is not a city i know but you know the civilization right, right, there, right, right, right. sodom egypt babylon jerusalem of old those things are typological of you know the world and the temptation as you said to worldliness that will one day be no more right and we will rejoice in that day yeah well in the last couple of minutes of this section then david why don't you uh take us into one of the the voices from below yeah i know that the first voice is pretty short so yeah the the focus is on the merchants uh so we'll talk about merchants in the next <laughs> uh the next part but the first response to this publication the first voice from below belongs to the kings of the earth. And they're singled out as those who were the most complicit with the whore. So those who participated in her sexual, who committed sexual immorality and lived in luxury with her. And then you get this mention. Now, now here's where I, I think you see the new element of revelation in chapter 18. Mm-hmm. Um, when the other plagues have fallen, uh, there is this, uh, again and again, there's a, a description that the people did not repent. Um, right. They even cursed God even more, right? right? Well, now the response is weeping and wailing and standing far off. So the kings do, sep- you know, in a sense, they come out of her, right? They separate themselves from her. They stand far off in fear of her torment. Now, you could say, and I think you said this before, Zelwyn, you could say, well, that's not true repentance, right? That's just seeing a calamity and getting away from it, <laughs> right? Right. That's true. Right. Um, but then what they say, so that's what they do. Their actions, they physically distance themselves from her. They fear what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then they say, whoa, whoa, right? Alas, alas. So just like the call went out, fallen, fallen, a double call, now the kings respond kind of in agreement, alas, alas, for Babylon, you great city, you mighty Babylon, for in a single hour, your judgment has come. And that, I think that's a key um, recognition here, that they see the kings of the earth, whoever these are who are talking, they see that this is the, the action of God. It is a just judgment. They're not protesting what's happening. They're, in a sense, agreeing with what's happening, even though it's weeping and wailing, um, mm-hmm. there is agreement here. Yeah. Well, maybe one more thing to point out before we go into break is that, like you said, they leave Babylon, but notice that they just leave. They don't go anywhere. They're just mm-hmm. standing far off. So our call to leave Babylon is not to just stand far off and say, oh, how terrible it is like the kings are doing. Our call to leave Babylon is then to go, as you said, yeah. to the new Jerusalem, to yeah, the that's heavenly good. city. I, I think that's good. So, okay. With that, we're going to go into our next break. We'll be right back.
listening to A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Zoe and Heidi here with David Ampold, continuing our discussion of Revelation chapter 18. Okay, so in the end of the previous section then, David, we talked about the kings of the earth and their wailing over the fall of Babylon. But now we get into talking about the next voice from below, which is the merchants of the earth. So take us into that section. Yeah, so who do you think of when you think of merchant? I mean, the um, the merchants here... Uh, get the most space, Zelwyn. Right. Um, and if you just look textually, you've got verse 11 through kind of the first half of 17. Right. And so the, the kings of the earth, you know, it's kind of a surprise to me that um, the focus is on the merchant because um, the kings of the earth are the ones who actually are singled out as those who commit sexual immorality with the whore and live luxuriously. But now the merchants actually get the most space. And the merchants are described uh, in a long list. There's like this whole um, list of all the things that they traded in. Mm -hmm. And I think we can come back to that in a minute. But just listen to listen to what their response is. It's just it's very similar to the kings of the earth. So you get some repetition here. They stand far off from the city. So again, they come out from her. They stand in fear of her torment, and there's weeping and mourning, and they say much the same thing. Alas, alas, for the great city that was clothed in fine linen, in purple and scarlet, adorned with gold, with jewels, and with pearls. That's like the description of a, uh, you know, like a a beautifully clad woman again, right? So Mm -hmm. they're seeing the city, but also talking about it in terms of, uh, you know, this woman. Um, For in a single hour, all her wealth has been laid waste. Okay. And that wealth came from all the stuff that was traded in this city. And the description of all that stuff that was traded, I don't think it's it's really going to profit us to, to read it. There's 28 items in this list uh, full of stuff. And I, you know, you try to look for some sort of um, what's the organizing principle of the list. I, I can't detect one there. I think if you read different commentaries, you'll find different things. 28 may be significant as, you know, seven times four, four being the number of the earth, the four points on the compass. Um, and so this is like, you know, a, a full laundry list, uh, so to speak, right? All Her trade includes stuff from all over creation. Sure. That's that's the best I can do out of it. Well, one thing that I do find interesting about the list is that, you know, you have all of these very expensive things, especially at the beginning. You know, you have gold, you have silver, pearls, purple, you know, all these, you know, you know, aromatic woods and that sort of thing. You have very luxurious kinds of items. You could even say very worldly kind of items. Um, But as you go down the line, they get a little bit more common. So like you get down to wine, oil, flour, wheat, cattle, sheep, so on and so forth. So, you know, it's kind of everything. So, yeah, I would agree with you there. But what's interesting is that human souls, slaves, are the last item in the list, Mm -hmm. which I think says something because it shows that in the midst of all of this consumerism in the midst of all of this luxuriousness humans themselves are treated as kind of the least important thing whereas you'd think they would be the most important thing the most expensive thing so to speak right yeah you kind of get this devaluing of human life in the midst of all of this luxury and i think uh the book here of revelation it does that on you know it sets up you you're as you're reading through the list you're right you're expecting it to get cheaper and cheaper and cheaper but then this is very similar to the prophets right um they go they often will describe all the problems around jerusalem right and then and don't think you're escaping from this judah right they come back and they kind of deliver that punch i think the same thing is going on here you know it's not just that we profit on stuff but mm-hmm. it's that even human souls get treated as a commodity, mm-hmm. um, human souls here too. So um, that being said, I think looking for some Old Testament precedent for this is always the right way to go in the book of Revelation. And so you do get lists of stuff in the Old Testament. You get in Ezekiel 27, um, Tyre is seen as the great you know, city of trade. 
and falls under condemnation of Ezekiel because of its complacency and its luxuriousness. Mm-hmm. Um, but you also have the description when Israel comes out of Egypt and they plunder Egypt, you get that long description of all the stuff that they bring out of Egypt. And I think seeing some connection between the stuff and the temple, because that's what the the Egyptian list gets used for, is the building of the tabernacle. And Tyre, maybe this is a stretch. You tell me what you think, Selwyn. But remember, it was Tyre that was the main kind of Gentile trader with Solomon when he built the temple. And so these goods are being are being brought in to build temples. And the the shock of Babylon, if indeed it is Jerusalem, is that instead of being used for the worship of God, these things are just becoming, um, you know, it's like Jesus said, right? You you turned my house into a den of robbers. And you even, it's not just that you sold the animals, the clean animals that needed to be sold in order to offer proper sacrifices, but you you destroyed human souls through what you were doing in the temple, through the corruption of the temple and all of the, the wealth that the priests in Jesus' day were gaining out of the temple. What was lost in that was human souls. You just desperately want this to be Jerusalem is what you're telling me. Well, merchants, uh, etc. Et I just, but I think seeing a connection there because it, it's not just that. So, sometimes, and you'll find this in commentaries on Revelation. It's like, um, you know, that, and I think it's it's proper and good to see like consumerism, even the the capitalistic system. It has its um, its faults, right? It's not like there's the this perfect economic system, and we have it. So. I think that that it comes under judgment here, but I think it's especially always good to see the connection to the religious aspect here, that the temple itself was driving all of these wicked practices and then putting a veneer of it's all going to be okay over the top. That's why Jerusalem came under such harsh condemnation by Jeremiah, right? Oh, you go around and you defraud everyone, but then you come into the temple and you think the temple, the temple, the temple, right? You think that it's all going to be okay just because you say the right words and you have the right practices. But if your heart is far from the Lord, then even saying the temple, the temple, the temple won't do you any good. And I do want to say that the connection to Ezekiel 27 and kind of that general area, it's actually like a couple of chapters. I want to say like 25 to 27 that is a very clear connection. In fact, I would argue that this whole chapter is kind of modeled after that section, the lament over Tyre and talking about what she is going to endure because of her sins. Um, So there certainly is a connection there. And I would also agree with you that, you know, there is a religiousness to this, um, especially because, you know, we we described the the horror of Babylon as the second beast who was the the religious beast right the one who wanted to be seen like the lamb so there's very much this religious veneer over all of this that is leading uh, these merchants to treat these things to treat the commerce with the city as kind of their god as their you know their their religion so to speak and so yeah I think that's all very much in mind here. Um, I just also would say that, as you were getting at, you know, we can see in it a critique of all pursuit of wealth for its own sake, in that, you know, it ultimately ends up devaluing human lives. Because think of think of our own situation and how people are, you know, literally being trafficked. <laughs> you know, they're yeah. being treated as commodities. I mean, it is it is a a a godless, deadly thing but one which will come to an end. Yeah, your God is your belly, right? right. And that's the consumer uh, mentality. When when uh, man becomes simply an economic animal, homo economis, um, that's, the, that's kind of the end result is that everything, even the soul, the priceless human soul becomes something that can be traded just like cinnamon or just like flour. You know, there's a price on it and I can, be- how, how can I financially profit from, you know, another human being. 
you will own nothing and you will be happy. Yeah. 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 I mean, we can see all kinds of connections to our own time here. Yeah. So um, anything else you want to say about the merchants, David? We should get to the rest of this chapter. Yeah, no, let's go on to the seafarers. And so the, the next group, this third voice from below, is the one that's least connected to Babylon. So the one that is most already um, disconnected. But again, that call, come out of her, separate yourself from her. You see it again. Um, those who trade, whose trade is on the sea. So they're not, you know, they're not setting up their booths inside the city, but what happens in the city has an impact even out on, you know, the Mediterranean Sea or whatever is supposed to be in view here. Um, they stand far off. Again, this is just the repetition that we've seen with the kings and the merchants. There's a physical separation. There's a crying out, a weeping, a wailing as they see the smoke going up. And uh, their question is, what city was like this great city? You know, what What else was like this? Wasn't this the, supposed to be the greatest thing? Wasn't this supposed to last forever? Um, again, it's just, it's so hard for me not to think of Jerusalem here, right? <laughs> Wasn't this the city of peace? Wasn't this God's chosen place? Wasn't this Mount Zion? Wasn't this the city of David? And now it's no more, you know? Um, in any case, they also have that double agreement with the judgment, alas, alas, for the great city. In a single hour, she's laid waste. And then I want to get your take on this, Zelwyn. Verse 20 seems to be a continuation of the, the, their, their voice. But in verse 20, uh, no longer is it talking about the city. But verse 20 is this this shift. And this, again, is where I would see chapter 18 as describing maybe not full repentance by all of these people, but there is this, a turn is happening. Because in verse 20, just listen to this, it says, rejoice over her, O heaven. So now there's a call going up to those who dwell in heaven. And you saints and apostles and prophets, for God has given judgment for you against her. Yeah. See, so if if this is not repentance, this is as close as you can get, right? <laughs> to that, you know, what our confessions talk about, you know, repentance in the broad sense, not just lament over sin, but also a turn to this. This sounds like full agreement with God and a call now. Hey, rejoice! We were weeping, we were wailing, we were surprised at what happened to the city, but we we see this is God's judgment, not just against Jerusalem or against Babylon, but it's actually an act of vindicating those who were killed in in Babylon, those who were persecuted by Babylon. Yeah, but I would the way I would take it is the way that the unbeliever will eventually bend the knee before Christ and declare him Lord, not to his everlasting salvation, but to his everlasting shame. The enemies of God's church will eventually be forced to admit that they are getting exactly what they deserve and that the church is vindicated. So it's not just that, well, I mean, you could put it this way. It's not just that the that we get justice against our enemies, that we get justice against those who attacked us, but our enemies will be forced to fall down and admit that God loved us. Yeah, this, They will uh, see I that we see were that. right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, the... Uh... This think again of of this as a courtroom. I said before, you know, the evidence is all being laid out. And now these people who are kind of the onlookers, they're saying the verdict was accurate, right? Yep. God has given judgment for you against her. God has prosecuted Babylon, found her guilty. She's been weighed in the scales and found wanting. And now he has acted. He's carried out his sentence against her. And he was right to do so. Yeah. Yeah, but I yeah. but I just think it's interest. It's it's uh, it seems to me the hint towards repentance here because it's this call, rejoice, O heavens. But in any case, uh, then we get the third voice from above, and we'll we'll just kind of wrap up the chapter th- with this one. The third voice from above is another mighty angel, and before he speaks, he performs kind of a, um, what maybe in the prophets we would call one of these sign acts, these prophetic actions. He takes a great millstone and throws it into the sea. And he says, that's what, that's Babylon. 
the millstone thrown into the sea. And then he describes the city gone silent. So the chapter started with the city becoming a haunt of demons and and jackals and all those things, right? And it Mm -hmm. ends in complete silence. No more in you will be heard all these things. Um, No more will be found in you, the craftsman and his craft, the sound of the mill, the light of the lamp, the voice of the bridegroom. Um, Everything has gone silent in this once great city. And then verse 24, again, just to, uh, you know, I hope I'm not beating a dead horse here, but identifying Babylon with Jerusalem. And certainly I agree with your point, Zoe, and we want to then see that as a type of ultimate judgment, final judgment. Uh, But just listen to 24. In her, in this city called Babylon, was found the blood of prophets and of saints and of all who have been slain on the earth. Now, that could mean just this is any persecuting, you know, all of the persecutions are kind of summed up in this Babylon. But it also fits with what Jesus said about uh, when he pronounced his, his woes on Jerusalem, you know, you you have fill up you fill up the you know you're the city that kills the prophets and those sent to her right the the blood of righteous abel until zechariah whom yeah. you murdered between the what the the, the altar, altar and the, and the and, door i yes. got yeah whatever it is you know what i'm talking about yeah 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 no i i can i can see that david and i'm not totally disagreeing with you i just want to i just want to you know keep it Keep the whole picture, so yeah. to speak. <laughs> yeah, we no, I, and I think that gets kind of to the heart of of Revelation. And one of the things that um, is good, we we repeat this often, but we started going through this because we were living through crazy a crazy time, right? And the world is still we still live in clown world, of course, but it has kind of um, died down to some extent. Don't you feel that way, Zelwyn? It's not we're not yeah, under yeah. lockdown. It's yeah. it's taken a different form, right? Um, But part of the value of the book of Revelation is that it can, even when you're not being told, hey, stick this in your arm or else, right? right? Um, You know, listen to us or else don't meet for church or else, even when you're not living in that time, there's still application of this, right? right? It's not, it never ceases to apply to the church. Uh, But that being said, grounding it in historical reality. This had to mean something for those Christians in the first century to whom it was originally written. And if it was just talking about um, COVID-19, well, they what did that have to do with John? And what did that have to do with, with those original Christians? Right. Well, in, in that sense, it becomes a call for faithfulness, a call to rejoice in the midst of every vindication you know, both in time and the ultimate vindication in, in the age to come. But I mean, yeah, I mean, we, I don't know if it's totally calmed down. I think it's just shifted, if that makes sense. Because there's always something going on and there's always something that is going to lead us to wonder, you know, what are we going to do? Is this the end? You know, is, is, is what is happening? You know, are we, are we facing the end of all things? I mean, there's always that impulse. And I don't think that it's totally wrong to have that impulse because we should be ready for the end. We should be on guard. We should be watching. You know, what if this is the the coming of the very end? We should always be that ready for Christ mm-hmm. to return. But at the same time, we do want to see it as something which speaks to all of our lives as Christians so that we are ready for whatever situation we are facing. Because Babylon, for all of her strength, for all of her power... She does come to us in many different ways. You know, she is always trying to tempt us. She is always trying to seduce us away from the true worship of God. You know, whether that's in the little things of life so that we are being seduced in luxury or whether that is in the hard things of life and where we are being told to bend the knee or else kind of thing. There's always this call to come out from Babylon. And so I think that is the the enduring appeal of this chapter. Well, and the this list that comes at the end, I just I mentioned a few of the things, but you can see how busy Babylon was. It was a bustling mm-hmm. place. There's all this, and it, it you know you can just read through that list yourself uh, for our listeners and just think of the parallels with 
all the the busyness and the and the bustle and the feet what's sometimes called the fever of life and those things aren't you know it's not that there's anything wrong with craft and with music and flutes and trumpets but uh, they can also become a trap and and when those traps are shown to be real traps you have to separate yourself from them and you have to distance yourself from those things well david any final thoughts for before we close up for today i think that's a good a good spot to end just to to call back to the beginning here the fall of babylon the destruction uh, and the permanence of it right fallen is babylon to rise no more uh, is it's an awesome thing to behold in the sense that it, it will cause weeping and wailing for these things to fall, uh, but it also is a cause of rejoicing for the saints. When God acts um, and brings our enemies uh, down, we shouldn't just, you know, wring our hands and say, oh man, that was too much. You know, it, it's good to rejoice at the victories that God gives. Indeed. Well, this has been A Word Fitly Spoken. I'm Zoe and Heidi here with David Ampold. If you like what you heard, please check us out, wordfitlyspoken.org, facebook.com slash wordfitly, or Twitter at wordfitly. God love you, and God bless. Blow the trumpet in Mount Zion, Christ shall come a second time, ruling with a rod of iron all who now as foes combine. Babel's garments we've rejected, and her fellowship is o'er. Babylon is fallen to rise no more.